You are now listening to the Photography Enthusiast Podcast. Welcome to the final episode of the Photography Enthusiast Podcast for 2020. As always, I am your host Daniel Lee or Photos by DLEE. So this week we got two sort of updates or topics we're going to discuss. One is related to me, another is just looking back on 2020 as a year in photography for myself, what I learned, what challenges I had, and what I'm going to set for myself as personal challenges for next year in that regard as well. Because of these topics, I won't be discussing any news this week, plus there hasn't really been much news to speak of aside from, you know, Canon delaying the release of the 7400 F4L, otherwise, you know, nothing really caught my eye, there's been a few lens releases, but they're more the third-party lenses that, you know, manual focus, certain mounts only, not sort of really big name releases. So that's why I won't discuss them. So like usual, I'll be getting into a personal up, my personal updates first. So in regards to personal updates, I got sort of two ones, photography ones not. The first one is I finished my top five photos of 2020. For me, what I found surprising was when I looked through all the photos for the year, which ones I liked the most. For me personally, it was the cityscapes. The cityscapes really stood out to me. The only one that wasn't a cityscape in my top five was my sort of photo from Anna Bay when we went on a road trip to Newcastle and Hunter Valley. That was like such a beautiful scene because the main thing about that area is the sand dunes and the camels, which I had managed to capture in the photo as well as the sky was just absolutely beautiful that day. So because of that, it just made for such an amazing image. And funny enough, it was taken with the M5, which, you know, even to me, someone that's a full frame snob shows that doesn't matter what camera you have, it's about your knowledge, your skill, and also, you know, your light as well and your scene. The second update, which for me, it's like not photography later, but still sort of good and it's going to affect my photography is I have finally graduated from uni. I can officially say that after nearly 10 years of doing it part time, one or two units a semester, I have finally finished my Bachelor of Management. Now, here comes the funny part there, so the tricky part. I live in Sydney. My uni is based in Perth, Curtin University. Because we just had a whole bunch of COVID cases in the last few days of recording, previous to this recording, New South Wales and WA have you know, closed their borders to each other, so I would not be able to go back. Now, the graduation ceremony would generally be around February, which I don't think this whole thing is going to be blown over because WA opened their borders pretty much the last out of all the states. So I figure they're probably going to keep it closed for a long time, especially to New South Wales. Because of this, I can't go back to graduate. So I had two options. I can either defer it till later in the year and get a certificate of completion, course completion. So that way I can still apply for jobs and say that I have my management degree. Or I can just pretty much choose to have them send me the graduation pack, like my certificate and that. And I forego any option to do a ceremony in the future. For me, I care more about getting a certificate. I would personally just go ahead and get it. But my girlfriend's really insistent because of, you know, how long it took me. The fact that growing up, I was the type of person that teachers would say, yep, no chance. You have, you have zero chance of going to uni. Not something even remotely optional for you. TAFE is probably the best you can do. But, you know, here I am doing the job that I do. Got my degree. So, yeah. But aside from that, I have to wait till September now. So, you know doesn't really bother me too much as long as I get that completion certificate so it doesn't affect my work but regardless it's sort of a happy time I can finally celebrate and here's something you know I haven't really shared before with most people on the podcast so growing up I was an only child 
And my mom died when I was 17 of a massive heart attack, which has pretty much left me alone. You know, she's someone as well. I was very, how do I put it, misunderstood in a way. People thought I was bad at school because, you know, I guess, not that I'm stupid. My mom knew that I was smart, but I just did not care about school. It's the last thing I want to do. I just wanted to be done with it and work, you know. So I never did well in school. So my mom never thought I could go to uni as well. So now that I've finished uni, this is a type of thing that I would love to be able to share with her. But sadly, you know, she passed away, I can't even count, maybe 15 years ago now, that or longer than that. You know, I was 17, I'm nearly 33 now, so a long time ago. So whenever stuff like this happens, you know, I can imagine when I get married, when I have my first kid, it's going to be tough, you know, because that's the type of stuff you want to be able to share with your parents, which in my case, never can. You know, I'm not the only one that's like this, and I don't really talk about this kind of stuff that much or let it out, but you know, it's hard not to with a time like this, you know, I feel very mixed, conflicted inside, but regardless of that, you know, it is what it is, I passed uni, finally did it, now I can just move on, and now I don't have to be stressed about that, not that I ever studied that much, but you know, it's just, you got that in the back of your mind, but I can just focus on photography, focus on learning, I want to learn another language, I might even start my own personal podcast, just about wrestling, gaming, all that kind of stuff, and yeah, that's pretty much it for my personal updates, we can finally get onto what's in place of the news. So the big thing for this week and, you know, the final thing for the, I didn't even plan it like that, but the final thing for the podcast for the year, goodbye to Sony, hello once again to Canon. So, you know, I think I've said it before, ever since the Canon R6 was announced, I've been so tempted by it. I own the 60, the 60 Mark II, then I switched to Sony and I was never unhappy with the Canon 60 Mark II, like image quality wise and that it's just it didn't do what a mirrorless camera can do it didn't focus across the entirety of the screen people would say you know oh, the da10 can focus this the 1dx can focus this much the 5d but none of those combined can focus as far as a mirrorless like say the r6 that can do 100 percent of the screen even mirrorless cameras back then could usually do 100 percent vertical and 80 to 90 percent horizontal so it doesn't matter which dslr can focus that big it still can't focus as big as a mirrorless and that was my main sort of thing that I really wanted to switch. So I switched to Sony, you know, because they're the only ones that had a full frame mirrorless at the time. Back, you know, when I first switched, I had the intention of getting a second body, you know, like getting a Canon full frame mirrorless and the Sony full frame mirrors and maybe doing some paid work. But as time goes on, I'm getting more and more away from wanting to do paid work. Even if it means buying more gear, I just, it's not my interest. And because I always intended to switch back, you know, with this camera coming out, sort of pushed me to more and more. As I mentioned, when it comes to upgrading gear as well, you want to do it before the new body comes out. Rumors do suggest, you know, say end of next year, which is most likely the time it will get announced, the Sony A7 Mark IV will be coming out. Whether or not it would be fixed, you know, and what's going to sort of improve on that is one thing, but, you know, I'd be upgrading regardless. And there's some really good sales on the Canon at the moment. And in a way, you know, Canon does have less lens range when it comes to RF glass, which to me, I actually like. As you know, I have horrible gas, so that's limit, limiting what I can buy and what, you know, options I have, which means I won't spend too much. Plus, you know, it always toyed the idea of just having a 35 and an 85 on Canon. And the good part about Canon is I can actually just have those two lenses. So with Sony, I have my 85 and my 90. Whereas with Canon, because the 85 is the F2 macro lens, I don't have to worry about that. I can just use that one thing. And when it comes to the actual Canon R6, you know, it might not seem like, you know, it's worth up, it might not, to some people seem like it's even an upgrade. But when it comes to what 
I benefit from are number one, a fully articulating screen. So I don't do any video as I've mentioned multiple times, but this is so useful for stills. If you're traveling, you want a photo with your partner or whatever, you just want to have a self-portrait of yourself. You know, you're doing uh, still life product photography and you want to be able to be behind the camera, hold some prop in the background, but also see what's going on. This screen is absolutely the best, you know. Some people just prefer a tilt screen, but I personally don't like them, especially because I shoot vertical a lot. And when you're shooting vertical, the tilt screen does nothing for you, cannot help you. Whereas a fully articulating screen can. Now, the second thing is the card slot. So the A7 Mark III has dual card slots, but one is UHS-2 and the other is UHS-1. Because of this, if you want to shoot to both cards, that second card slot is going to slow you down. It's a real bottleneck. Whereas with the 60, oh, sorry, the, I got to get used to saying it, the R6, both slots are UHS-2, so there's no speed difference. They're also both UHS-2, you know, SD cards, not one CF Express, one SD. So that in itself as well is another great feature that I'm getting an upgrade for. Going back to the rear screen, both that and the EVF are higher resolution. So I mentioned it before, but when I was going on my trip to New Zealand, I think it was, I gave the Z6 a try in the airport and oh my God, that um, EVF was amazing. I did try the R6 in the store when I was picking up the RF 35mm f1.8 and ordering the R6 and it is beautiful. It's honestly like nothing bad against the Sony, well it is a bad EVF but it's so poor compared to the Canon. The Canon looks amazing, it's not pixelated, it looks a lot more real life. Like if I could use the Sony a7S Mark III, that thing would be amazing at 9 megapixels because this one at 3 megapixels look amazing. You can imagine what 9 megapixels one would look like. Now, as someone who does a lot of long exposures, especially over 30 seconds, I like to do anywhere between 1 minute to 4 minutes. The Canon, and I think most Canons have it. I know my 6D Mark II had it. I think the 5D Mark IV has it. But it has a bulb timer. So as you know, we say like a Sony, if you want to shoot up to 30 seconds, you can set it that. Over 30 seconds, you need to actually use a remote. Whereas with the Canons, you can set it. So say I want to shoot for 2 minutes, I can set it to 2 minutes in the bulb timer. I want to do four minutes, I can set to four, five, five, whatever. I don't actually have to use a remote and stop it each time. So for example, I could set it to, you know, two second or five second delay timer, hit the shutter button. Once it fires, it goes off for two minutes. At the two minutes, it ends. I don't need to actually touch it. Don't need to have any camera shake. And if I was to forget my remote, it's not the end of the world. When I was in San Francisco, I actually forgot my remote for the Sony a7 Mark III. So because of that, I couldn't actually do long, ex like super extreme long exposures. I could only do 30 seconds. So the image still looked great, but I feel like I could have come up with something even more unique if I had the option of a longer exposure. I don't do them often, but I really like time lapses. I should really do them more, especially with the pocket. The few I've done have been great. And just like the Osmo pocket, the Canon will actually make a 4K time lapse movie for you rather than you having to merge all the files together. Actually, I think with the pocket, it does it at 1080 but it gives you the JPEGs and you can make it yourself into a 4K file. Whereas, you know, with the Canon, I believe it will do 4K straight out. In terms of autofocus, now, although the Sony's no slouch here, it does like 90% horizontal, the entire frame, 100%, both horizontal and vertical, you can autofocus with the Canon R6, which is huge. Also, the A7 Mark III was never lucky enough to get the real-time tracking update. So because of that, I find when I used to shoot street, I'd try and use the tracking on that one and I'd focus on someone but then it would just jump from subject to subject it wouldn't actually follow that one person the whole time unless you know you're doing say IAF and you can focus on them that way 
with the Canon, I did give it a try in store as well and I've seen videos of it, it sticks to its subject so well. It's got a 1DX3 level of tracking so that enough says it, plus the 20fps. If I ever do try shooting birds or get a lens that I'm able to shoot wildlife, say for example if that 100 to 500 I think it is from Sigma DN lens for Sony comes out on Canon, my god, you know I'm gonna buy it, can do birds, can do everything, you know, wouldn't look as nice as something a bit faster but it would still be great. Now I believe the Sony a9 Mark II does this, but it's the only Sony body to do it, as far as I remember. But closing the shutter when you're changing lenses. So to me, this is huge. I love this because I don't want to get dust on my sensor, even though, you know, I would still try not to change it outside as much as I can. This would make it a lot, lot easier and a lot, lot safer as well, in my opinion. Also, this is a small one, but when I do use the app, the Canon Connect app, it is much better than the Sony one. With the Sony one, you can sort of do everything you can in the Canon, but there's one sort of major feature. I know with the Canon, you can actually autofocus and that's it. You don't actually have to fire the shutter. With the Sony, it's just all connected. Once you autofocus, you take the shot. Whereas with Canon, you can autofocus and then wait and then there's a separate button to take the shot. Which for me personally, I like that. Just that little bit extra control can go a long way. Now, with, when it comes to A7 Mark IV rumors, they do indicate that most likely the A7 IV will be 2500 USD to match the Canon R6. Now, if you look at it, you know, it may end up as the same AUD price, but when you think about it, when the A7 Mark IV does come out maybe a year later or so, that's going to be, say, 4300 like the Canon R6, assuming, you know, prices still stay that high. Whereas by then, the Canon R6 will have dropped in price a lot. Like, it's already dropped now. I'm getting it for, I think, $3,749 after the 150 Canon cashback. So yeah, they may fix stuff, they may not. Either way, like I said, I wanted to switch back to Sony eventually. I mean, to Canon eventually. Is there anything I'm going to miss from Sony? For sure, like their third-party options are amazing. I know some people think that Canon should just keep doing what they do, but honestly, they don't lose anything in a way. Because if they license out their AF algorithm to Sigma, for example, they'll still make money from that. If they don't license it out, and Sigma Reverse Engineer, as far as I know, they make no money from that. At least they're making some money from it. And if you think about it, say Sigma was to make a unique lens for Sony, I mean for Canon, people would need a Canon body to use that. So by them buying that Sigma lens that's unique to Canon, Canon make money off of the body sale and they make money off of the licensing. So it's sort of a win-win situation for them. I, You know, Sony obviously have that advantage come from video games. They know third parties are something to benefit of. And that can help them sell more hardware, which is their consoles or their cameras. Hopefully Canon and Nikon in the not too near future do do that and license it out to Sony and Sigma because it just helps the photography community. More lens options, more bodies sold, everyone's happy. So that's it for the update and discussion on the R6. Next we'll be, you know, talking about reflecting on 2020 and the goals for 2021. Now last year, as far as I remember, I didn't really set any goals. My main one was to be more consistent with this podcast, which I achieved because as of this recording, I would have done one every fortnight for the entire year, which, you know, yay for me. Obviously, that's an ongoing one. I want to continue doing it next year, considering, you know, I don't know when I can travel next. I doubt that will change. If I do end up traveling, I'll just record in advance and there will be a topic, but no news and I can easily release that automated pretty much from my website and everything. So that's no hassle. When it comes to my year as a photographer in 2020, it was a bit more challenging, you know, I didn't get to go out as much, so that's one thing, but I found that in 2020, which is still this year, I took some of the best cityscapes this year and I really fell back in love with the genre. I've always been a city person, someone that loves cities, 
So, you know, it's natural for me to love shooting cityscapes as well. I don't know when I saw this, not got bored of it, but I just wanted to test myself and challenge myself and try something different, which is why I stopped shooting them as much. But, you know, as I mentioned this year, four out of five of my top five photos, which I could have honestly added another one, were cityscapes. So that's why I want to get back to and continue to do because that's what I, you know, enjoy. Another issue I had, I found was, you know, I swapped gear way too much. My gas was out of control. I can't even count. Like I know I had the 16 to 35 GM this year, Samyang 85, Sigma 85, 24 GM, and pretty much, you know, how many I still have of those? None. They are all gone. Every single one of them. Some of the, some of them it's excusable because, you know, obviously I switched systems, so I had to sell them regardless. Like for example, the Sigma 85 Art, if they had that in Canon, oh man, I would buy that instantly pretty much. But that's definitely an issue I want to work on next year. You know, quite a bit of the time here was restricted due to COVID, especially the colder months, which is where I shoot the most. So I definitely didn't go out to shoot as much. I'll go into that more a bit later on, but pretty much how it works is here we have daylight savings. So I think it's from November or December till maybe even earlier than that, maybe October until April or so, usually the first Sunday of each April we have daylight savings. So during that period, because it's summer as well, sunset would generally be around 8 p.m. Then blue hours like 8.30. So it's really late. Because of this, you know, I sleep at like 10, 10.30 usually. I don't want to be home too late because if I finish, you know, blue hour hits around 8.30, I won't be done shooting till about 9. I'll be home about 9.30, quarter to 10. It's too late, you know. I'm old these days. <laughs> so because of that, I don't go out shooting as much. So that's something I have to work on next year. Also, you know, in the second half of the year, my focus really wasn't there. So if you're in Australia, you read the news, you would have seen that Westpac has sold their general insurance arm of business to Allianz. So I generally work in general insurance, generally work in general insurance. But because of this, you know, we knew it was coming for a long time. We knew we were going to be sold, but it was just still stressful regardless, not knowing what would happen if we're going to keep our jobs. So because of that, you know, that took the stress on me. And then being my final unit and final semester of uni, I was so scared I would fail especially with this unit, it's just a horrible one. So that I did not want to do, it's not related to my degree to management, but they, for some reason, include it. So with all that, I was so nervous and, you know, my just interest wasn't there. Now that that's ended, I already feel that weight off my shoulders and that's where I'm sort of really eager to shoot. That plus having a new camera will definitely push me to really get out there and shoot as much as I possibly can. So next year, I have set three goals for myself, two of which are somewhat related. So the first goal is to focus more on cityscapes. So that's sort of been my focus. It was meant to be more urban and street. But I found in recent years, I sort of fell out with street a bit, haven't shot it as much. Whereas with cityscapes, I'm sort of really back into that now. There's so many locations I want to try and I want to try using tele lenses more. So traditionally, I've always used wide angle lenses for cityscapes, whereas I want to start using tellies, get further away, do panoramas and get that real compressed look because I actually really like that. It's something that's grown on me over the years, that more compressed look. So can't wait to give that a try. And how that's related to another one is the other goal is during that non-daylight savings period when sunset's a lot lighter, I want to go out to shoot at least every fortnight. So if it's raining, obviously I'll give myself a pass because I'm not going to risk damaging my gear. But if it's just cloudy, stormy sky, that kind of stuff, I'm still going to give it a try. In those weather, I can go black and white, do a long exposure, go out a bit earlier and I'll be fine. You know, if weather permits and time permits, I'll happily even go out every week if I can during that period because I know I'm not going to go out during the hotter summer months because I hate the heat. 20 degrees and I'm already crying and struggling to walk and dying from heat exhaustion. So 
Definitely not going out in summer, but I'm going to utilize winter and the colder months, you know, autumn, spring, and really get out to shoot as much as I possibly can. The last one is to control my gas. So I currently have the 35 RF lens. I'm getting the 85 RF lens, the F2, not the 1.2. I wish I could get the 1.2, but no. And I'm allowing myself one more lens next year. So that would be a wide angle. I'm most likely, I really, really want a small prime because when I travel, I mainly use the 35 millimeter like 90% of the time. Whereas if I have something wide, like a 16 millimeter prime would be the most ideal thing for me, especially if it was like a small F2.8, F, even if it's an F4, it's a tiny little pancake 16 millimeter lens. It would be fine for me. I don't do Astro, so I don't need it to be that fast. But if I could have something like that, that would be amazing because I would just use a 35 millimeter all the time. If I'm going to shoot a cityscape and I need that really ultra wide angle, swap to that, you know, because you could carry in your bag because it's so light. Then afterwards, just swap back. But yeah, I'm allowed to buy one UWA lens next year, whether it's a prime or a zoom. I don't know how cheap the RF, there are some in Canon's roadmap. I think one was like a 14 to 35 or 14 to 30, that kind of thing, F4 lens. Hopefully that one's cheap, you know, like a thousand AUD. If that is the case, maybe I'll just end up going with that, especially if it's not too heavy, but I really want to rock the whole prime lens lineup. And then looking to the further future, maybe 2022, because I have to think what year it was would be then. But maybe then I'll get something more tele lens, like a 70 to 200 F4. Hopefully by then, there'll be some third party options. One thing you have to keep in mind is Sigma, for example, have said that it takes three years to develop a lens or roughly around two to three years, I think it was. When you take that into consideration, I think once the RF mount hits three years, that's when we'll get to see more lenses from third parties. Because I'm assuming that, you know, obviously Canon wouldn't have shared the details with them. So the lens mount comes out. Yep. Here's the EOSR. This is our new mount. Boom. That's when Sigma get to work. I would personally love to see all the DN lenses that have been released in the L mount and E mount come out on Canon RF, especially that 85 art. That one's like a dream for me. And I'm still not giving hope, giving up hope on that Sigma 16mm f2. If that does come out on Sony, I'll be a bit like, uh, but then at the same time, you know, I'm happy with Canon. I love, I love the R6 from what I've seen and tried for so far. And I know I'm going to love it even more once I actually get it in my hands. In terms of, you know, if I feel, will feel it's limited with the 35, I can do panoramas when I do cityscapes. If it's not wide enough, I'm actually really getting into doing that. And even with the 85 millimeter, I can actually, you know, F2 is not as fast as F4, but when it comes to actual still life product shots, you can actually do panoramas for that, like focus, not just focus stack, but actually do it like a panorama. So on Flickr recently, I uploaded a photo of a little mini Christmas tree. It may not look like it, it may look like a normal image, but that was actually 12 photos in a panorama. The reason I done it that way rather than just do one is because the closer you get to the subject, the stronger the um, bokeh is going to be because there's shallower depth of field. So that means, you know, the closer you get, better the bokeh, but obviously less you can fit in the frame. So what's the solution to that? Do a panorama. So that way you get super nice bokeh, but you also get the whole thing in the um, picture, which works out really well. Just crop it to four by five, you're good to go. So I'm going to try and utilize those kind of techniques and really think outside the box and try something different next year. I'll probably still continue with my still life, probably even more maybe now that I actually have the fully articulating screen. I really need to get back into using flash, like using my strobes, not just a young newer speed light because the strobe does such a nice job on lighting the subject. That's mainly due to the diffusion, you know, and it's a lot easier to control. Not so much easier to control, but I actually find it easier using the strobe compared to a speed light. So that's why I really need to get into that again. I, you know, personal wise may do a personal podcast as well, just about my gaming, wrestling and all that sort of stuff. But we'll see how we go with that. Well, this concludes this 
final episode for 2020. If you have listened throughout the year, I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. It would be great to, for you to reach out. Just chat to me. Tell me what you think of my switch. Tell me if you hate me now that I switched back to Canon or you love me because I finally went back to Canon or whichever. Tell me off for not talking about Fuji or Nikon as much as I should. But either way, thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. Hope to bring more interesting topics, a lot more reviews and even better content in 2021. So have a happy and safe holidays. Have a happy new year and you should hear from me very soon in 2021. Thank you.